I speak tonight for the dignity of man and the destiny of democracy. May the turbulence of our age yield to the true time of peace, when men and nations shall share a life that honors the dignity of each, the brotherhood of all. I see a world of open borders, open trade, and most importantly, open mind. Hello and welcome to To the Republic, a show dedicated to history, civics, and U.S. institutions. I'd like to start by thanking every one of you who's listening right now. Um, it means a lot that you guys are sticking with us. Um, me, us, um, there's been kind of a revolving door of hosts that I've had with this show, and it's been a lot of just me recently. Most of that is because there's just a lot going on in life. COVID um, kind of hurt my ability to coordinate with people to record, and uh, it's just always in personal recording um, remotely with each other we always find that pretty hard to do so in a lot of ways especially I just became used to uh, recording by myself and honestly um, with me starting a new job um, and uh, getting married last summer having our uh, my wife and I uh, having our first kid uh, a month ago uh, life has just been crazy so with trying to schedule uh, and find time to get somebody over here, either Jeff or Matt, uh, to record with me. It just always end up, I always, always end up recording this kind of last second, throwing it together. So it's uh, a lot of times it's just easier for me to record by myself. So I hope you, you like listening to me drone on for an hour. Uh, but, um, if not, I apologize. I hope that I can keep this somewhat interesting. Um, just to kind of recap, uh, last last month we talked about um, we I started the I started last month's episode talking about the Washington State primary system and how it's a nonpartisan primary. That means it's pretty unique comparatively to the rest of the country. Being a nonpartisan primary, if you didn't listen, it means that the the top it's uh, it's kind of a all parties primary. So instead of like with other states and how we normally think of primary, especially at the presidential level, uh, each party, Republican, Democrat, runs um, primary and people within that party vote for a candidate. And then the winner of that candidate goes on to face the winner of the other party's primary in the general election. That's kind of the basic um, structure of how primaries work. However, uh, with Washington, and I, I think it's kind of a, a neat wrinkle, I kind of I, I do like it, is that um, it's a nonpartisan primary. So the no, there's even though people will have party affiliation, they uh, it's only the top two from uh, from a pool of all parties uh, that will face off in November. So theoretically, you could have two people from the same party vying for that seat in November, being the final two. You know, we talked a bit about uh, how that um, might open the door for um, for other candidates, for third party candidates to actually have a legitimate shot at winning a seat in the National Congress. Uh, but mostly it uh, I mean, it's in reality, it still works out to be one Democrat versus one Republican. I talked about the importance of this particular uh, this particular primary, mostly because it was uh, of who was on the Republican side and then that this district it, is increasingly Republican and but turnout was super super high and that's encouraging right and regardless of how the outcome turned out I was disappointed at the outcome uh, I 
openly supported Jamie Herrera Butler. I haven't been shy about being honest that I'm I have been a lifelong Republican. Um, but obviously, the reality of it is is that the Republican Party has come increasingly uh, hostile towards democracy. It uh, it's almost indefens it is indefensible at this point to continue to not call out the members of that party. Um, for promoting just outright lies and i i was really campaigning hard especially on my personal podcast that i do with um with with jeff who is another who has been a long time co-host of mine for this show and i'm sure you guys have all heard him but on my my personal podcast say what you mean podcast i was in also out in the community talking with people trying to get as like, look, it's as much as we disagree, like just as much as liberals, Democrats might disagree with Jamie Herrera Butler, and there's a lot to criticize. At least at the, at the base level, you want to make sure that you have candidates who are, when the time comes to certify a legitimately held election, that you have people in power that do so. And I think for me, the reality of everything was, is that even though I have my own complaints with Jamie, uh, with, uh, with Congresswoman Jamie Herrera Butler, at the end of the day, she, you know, she did vote to impeach and she voted to certify the election, which is a far minority within that party. And uh, her, the person running against her was Joe, uh, was Joe Kent, who has increasingly um, perpetuated the lie that the 2020 election was stolen. And it was just like it was almost I was calling on um, my Democratic counterparts um, to vote to cross party lines to vote for Jamie Herrera Butler to try to get her into the final two so that um, e- either way however the, the the general election turned out at least we were sending someone from Congress who was a competent be a serious candidate and see someone who at the minimum level will vote to uphold uh, a legitimately held election which in 2024 is going to be paramount um, because there are election deniers winning their primary races all across the country, uh, in especially in swing states like Arizona, um, and so it's it's a scary time we live in. And I think uh, as much as everybody's vote is their own, I think we have to remember we have to be calculated, we have to be um, strategic with our voting, especially right now and. As much as we have vast differences on policy, on uh, policy preferences, and ultimately they're petty in comparison to the overall threat that faces our nation right now. And um, I think we all need to remember that regardless of whether someone has an R or a D next to their name, if they are openly supporting of democracy, we need to form an unbreakable coalition that can fight this rot that is in our country we have to win it back we have to make sure that we we democracy is on the ballot in 2022 and 2024 and showing up to vote being strategic with our voting and making sure that we you know there will be a time when there's hopefully going to be a time when we can get back to having differences of opinion and and arguing about policy but right now we i think we just have to put our differences aside and form that coalition that can just that can defeat as the current president said 
the semi-fascist movement. Um, and I, I applauded the president for making that statement because as a student of history, um, especially the rise of, I mean, you can't deny that there are a lot of parallels between early fascist movements um, throughout Europe in the 1930s and what is happening within certain sections of this country right now, especially within the really deep-seated parts of the Republican Party, which, as much as they claim to be conservative, are absolutely, and that's the antithesis of conservatism, uh, and it drives me nuts as a lifelong conservative to have those terms, terms that I have used to identify myself for a long time, to be co-opted by people who do not uphold those values that I hold myself. So let's all hold hands and, and get to work. So uh, that's kind of my kumbaya moment there. Um, but I just want to reiterate that November is going to be a very big election. And uh, f- if there's anybody listening who was a Jamie Herrera Butler uh, voter like myself in the primary, uh, that we all rally around the Democratic prim- uh, the Democratic candidate, um, Marie Galusenkamp Perez, uh, to defeat Joe Kent. Um, I have... Tr- if, if, if you've if there's anybody out there that has listened to to the republic from the start i have tried very very hard to not come across as partisan even though i've been open about my own personal like my own policy beliefs i have tried very very hard to not endorse specific candidates i stayed very quiet about even though i i disavowed and disliked um, Trump, since the moment he came down that golden escalator and announced his candidacy for president, I was never going to support him. I would what I would I am what people would call a never Trumper. Um, but it's time. I think that if you're a Jimmy Herrera Butler voter, I hope that you you see uh, the the clear path forward here. And as much as I have, I mean, I have applauded Liz Cheney from Wyoming, who also lost her primary. Uh, to a Trump back challenger that she is out there doing everything she can to make sh- the campaign for Democrats. I hope that Jamie Herrera Butler as the the um as the primary as the general election gets near, she uh, gets on that same that same bandwagon to, to campaign and try to f- uh, get Republican voters to vote Democrat in this coming general election in the Washington third district. Uh, because they're going, to, Marie Glusenkamp Perez is going to need every vote um, possible because this uh, Ballotpedia, which is a fantastic um, resource, if anybody's looking for good synopsis on um, uh, ballot measures um, in our state, well, actually they break them down in every state. I find it to be super useful, especially with candidates or ballot measures that I'm not quite sure on, and I can't find good articles. Um, and the only like in the only place where you can find candidates um, information if like the Colombian or somebody hasn't written an article on them to kind of get an an, uh, an outside look at specific things outside of like that person's um, personal website, uh, Ballopedia is a great resource to go to, and I highly recommend people go and uh, and use that. And uh, anyway, so what I'm trying to say is that Ballopedia, which kind of breaks down all these different races shows Washington third as a plus four plus five Republican district. So that means that this district votes um, five points on average higher than the national average uh, skewed towards Republicans. So it's um, it's an uphill battle battle for any Democrat in this uh, in this district. Um, I think it's easy for people living in the greater Vancouver area, which is 
probably the the major uh, democratic enclave in this district to forget that there are a lot of very rural very 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 rural areas in this district because this district basically uh spans from Ilwaco all the way to the white salmon and in north uh, from there so it's uh, it's a very deep it can be very it's very deep red in parts it's also very deep blue in parts this is a a very wide this is a very uh, eclectic political uh, district and therefore we uh I, th- I think it's easy to to lose sight of if you live in a, in part of the district which is very deep one way it's easy to forget that other people exist so i think that we need we need to have that understanding that um it might look in our own little area of vancouver that i mean how how could joe kent win well i mean he he garnered enough i mean not only did did he beat jamie Herrera butler a seven term incumbent but if you were to add all of the um, all of the, the 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 votes from others like Heidi St. John and um, uh, Vicky Kraft, who are also election deniers, you would have to assume that most of those votes are going to go to Kent. And if you were to add all those primary votes up, the only way you'd have to have pretty much in the entire voting block of Jamie Hero Butler go to Marisa Glusenkamp Perez in order for Perez to have a shot at uh, at winning this general election. So. Uh, my call to making sure we get people out to vote, getting out there, uh, getting people registered, getting people understanding that this is if there's ever a time to vote in your life, this is this midterm election, which always has lower voter voter turnout than um, on your presidential elections. Um, and historically, Democrats have had lower turnout in midterm elections, which is why you always see uh, Republicans sweep in in years like 2010 uh, to, to retake ha- the retake the House. And so it's very important um, that we get out there. We make sure that we're campaigning. We're spreading the word, getting people registered, getting them out to vote, um, trying to reach across the aisle to moderate members of the opposite party. If you're a Democrat, reaching across the aisle to uh, moderate Republicans and making an articulated argument against voting down ballot Republican, because although they may agree with Republicans at other areas, this particular Republican in the Washington third who is running for Congress, Joe Kent, is an absolute danger um, to democracy. And so I and I don't say that lightly. I hope that people realize when I say that I'm not coming across as a political hack. It is imperative that we form a coalition to defeat this anti-democratic movement um, within the United States. And it starts local. It starts at the local level because all elections are certified at local levels and making and then certified in the House of Representatives and making sure that we have people in place that are going to uphold democracy the very essence the lifeblood of that is that makes america america that we are a representative democracy that we have people who are going to uphold that very ideal that basic intrinsic ideal that power is derived from the consent of the governed um when it comes time when push comes to shove Um, we can push back against that um and that authoritarian that anti-democratic movement that seems to be very popular amongst um parts of our country so 
with that, um, I think uh, I need to, before, who, this is, I've almost taken up the entire first segment already talking about uh, the, the primary, but um, that was just kind of a recap from last uh, episode. This this was, you, normally you don't think primaries are, are big deals, and uh, generally they are, and generally they're, they're more just a formality, uh, but this was a big one. This one really shook up the political landscape, especially in our local area. If you're listening on uh, KXRW, um, you I mean this this election direct this primary directly affected you. Um, anyway, so uh, before we move on, I I do need to take care of a little bit of housekeeping. So um, just really quick, uh, if you if you like what KXRW is doing. Uh, please consider donating. You can go on our website at kxrw.fm. There's a donate tab uh, that is right there. You can sign up for a, a recurring membership or a one-time do- uh, one-time donation. Uh, whatever works for you and your budget. I understand times are tar- hard. Inflation uh, inflation sucks. Um, and uh, but as our politics becomes more and more divisive, having voices, having uh, a voice, especially for this community, this this. Uh, this area lacks um, even local representation, let alone national representation. So um, please consider, I mean, this is a very important, um, this is a very important station and please consider donating to help keep us on the air. Uh, also, while you're there, check out the backlog of this show. All of my past episodes are, are uploaded and I've covered all sorts of different topics. And if you um, like to hear what I have to say, please go back and you can take a look at there. And while you're there, stop by and check out some of the other uh, some of the other great shows that are out there. Um, there's one that really caught my attention called uh, Internal Chatter, and it's about um, str- uh, like uh, it's about mental health and and the struggle that mental people have with mental health. And as someone who has gone through a massive journey um, through battling my own inner demons, um, I find this show to be very helpful and, and very informative, and also helps kind of uh, if you're someone who also struggles with that having um representation in that sh- with uh with a show that talks about it is it helps kind of form a community and i think you realize quickly once you start openly talking about it and you hear others talk about it you realize that you're not alone and um that realization is so key in helping people um help people get the taking the steps to get the help that they need is realizing that they're not alone because so one of the biggest things that, de- that depression takes from you um is your sense of of belonging yourself sense of self-worth and having knowing that there's other people out there who um, are feeling similar ways to you uh, really helps with that I know that it helped me so I I'm so thankful that that show is on our airwaves there's so many other great shows uh, the common good with Joe Clemens um, uh, filibusters with John Oberg um, there's some really fun um, more pop culture East shows uh, the uh, rogue apostles always makes me laugh so um, please consider going on there, listening, donating, uh, just being a part of KXRW in our community. And once again, that's KXRW.FM. So um, before we get into our topic, which I'm going to just kind of talk generally about what is politics, just kind of a general discussion about politics in general, like what is the basic definition of politics and how does that how does that like materialize in the formation of government? So with that we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors and when we get back we'll talk we'll uh, tackle that really broad topic so you've been listening to to the republic i'm jake and we'll be right back a big thank you to vancouver's own kagan's theater for supporting our radio community our historic kagan's theater has a long tradition of showing movies for our community 85 years 
Kagan's currently features first-run big studio and art house films, along with classic movie revival. Check out their live events, and you can even book the theater for a private party or public event. Go to Kagan'sTheater.com to see how you can rediscover the joy of going out for movie night again. Showtime's booking information and more at Kagan'sTheater.com. A big thank you to our founding partners at Morel Inc. Print and Marketing for their ongoing support of community radio. Morel Inc. is a woman-owned, union-staffed, state-of-the-art print shop that since 1993 has offered high-quality, creative, and innovative printing and marketing solutions. Morel Inc.'s experienced staff creates partnerships with their clients and uses the latest technologies to meet their needs. More information about which of Morel Inc.'s products, printing, and marketing strategies will best serve your next project and budget can be found at morelinc.com. That's M-O-R-E-L-I-N-K dot com. Welcome back to To The Republic. In this episode, uh, I began last segment with talking about... Oh, actually, I should probably say, my name is Jake, and welcome back to To The Republic. In our first segment, um, if you're just now tuning in, I talked about the Washington 3rd Legislative District's primary and uh, how the results of that and uh, a call to action um, about political... um, political participation anyway if you're uh, if you missed it uh this available this um this episode will be available on kxw's backlog under my show to the republic there um where you can find all of my past shows so with that um i teased heading into the break that i would we're going to have a general discussion about the what is politics like i think we get so lost uh talking about more complex issues or specific topics that I think the I general idea of what politics is, the, the general definition of it, and how that informs government and how that informs decision making, um, the very nature of politics, I think, kind of gets lost um, in the weeds, and we kind of uh, um, we we forget to see the bigger picture a lot of times. So um, I think that's what we're going to kind of focus. What I am going to focus this episode around. Um, I gotta stop saying we because this it's <laughs> this show is basically just me rambling for an hour at this point. I used to have uh, a lot of co-host. I used to have different co-hosts, but uh, as I discussed in the first segment, uh, timing and stuff like that always comes into uh, always kind of gets in my way. Um, anyway, uh, so the interwebs um, define politics, uh, which is from the Greek word uh, politika, uh, affairs of the city. Um, is a set of activities that are associated with making decisions in groups or other forms of power relations among individuals, such as the distrib- distribution of resources or status. Um, I mean, that's kind of an academic definition. Um, I wrote my own definition for this because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm coming up with my own uh, presentation to give to whoever cares, probably just my family that I can convince with uh, snacks and drinks to come and listen to, but it is uh, what is my kind of presentation that I'm going to be giving is called What is Conservatism? And in that, I think before you can even talk about conservatism in general, in relation to politics, you have to define what politics is. And for that particular uh, presentation, I wrote my own definition of politics, and that is politics uh, is the mechanism in which a society determines winners and losers. And uh, when you hear the terms winners and losers, uh, obviously that has a pretty negative connotation to it, and it sounds 
uh, it doesn't sound fun, right? Nobody wants to be a loser. And I guess I should probably say um, winners and losers, because in every decision, there is going to be someone who negatively benefits from that uh, from that decision and someone who positively benefits from that uh, from that decision making. And so uh, but how do you get to where um, like who's making those decisions? How does government form and what kind of values what type of government are we talking about? And how do societies, um, how has societies advanced to the point where we have, um, we have uh, particular governmental mechanisms, uh, stuff that's intrinsic in the formation of our government, like representative democracies, uh, where like the United States, which uh, almost to a fault um, compen compensates losers of political outcomes. And uh, by having minority by by minority parties having power, like actual power within government, is a way of compensate is a way of compensating losers in in the political sphere. And I think that as that's a strength of of us of a system where we allow minority parties, we allow people who are not in the dominant voice to have. Uh, have agency within the system to still have a voice because not having agency not having a voice not being a part of decision making not having some claim to power uh, leaves a lot of resentment and uh, over time it, it, it uh, you know that, that resentment brings anger and um, and then cooperation is very hard to come by uh, that is kind of like the I, and I, I think a lot of ways is kind of the basic of American uh, American democracy is is allowing the mechanism uh, having those mechanisms enshrined in a document that says that uh, regardless of political outcomes, uh, minority parties will have a certain amount of power and a certain amount of agency within the system to make sure that cooperation can um, can 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 uh cooperation within our system cooperation with our country amongst us as individuals can be sustained for uh for an indefinite amount of time obviously uh cooperation is difficult when two sides see each other as uh as enemies instead of um instead of just political opponents uh but uh that's a that's a different um it's a different topic for a different time um i guess it kind of does relate maybe we could talk about it a little bit later but that's just kind of my thinking on it is um you know just kind of devolving everything down to uh, winners and losers, but trying to, and, and this might be hard to do, but um, trying to uh, separate our conce concept of winners and losers in a like a game format, right? And if you look, if you think about a winner of a of a of a game of football or a game of whatever, um, it's zero sum, right? Winners. Um, a winner is 100% the winner and a loser is 100% the loser. There's no sharing here. But with uh, over time, and I, I think uh, one of the greatest things that came out of the Enlightenment period in, in this idea of self-government is making sure that um, losers are compensated. I think that is one of the – and then also within econ – I mean, economics and politics have are so intertwined. That's why there's a whole term called political economy. Um, and the different, like, especially coming out of the, um, coming out of, uh, coming out of the, the Great Depression and, uh, the rise of Keynesian economics, more short run, more into, like, um, demand side economic theory, uh, and policies on the mon monetary side with the Fed, um, and fiscal policy that's more focused on, 
um, making sure that when there are losers in the economy that there are safety nets in place to, to help people get back on their feet versus more of the long run uh, economic supply side economic theories which basically say like uh, hands, hands completely off, don't touch the economy, uh, it eventually will correct for itself but in the meantime there's a lot of people who are suffering right so it's uh, there's been a constant evolution of how to make sure we comp we help compensate we, we don't completely shun the quote losers of, of any political decision making because ultimately in a world of finite resources uh, but unlimited wants there is always any any transaction any sort of transfer of power any sort of uh, transfer uh, any sort of decision making transfer of resources there is going to be someone who is uh, negatively negatively affected and someone who is positively affected or uh, winners and losers uh, so I want to just kind of uh, talk I guess more generally uh, kind of about that as we get through our um, uh, get through our um, this this episode and I think I want to start with I guess we're already a half hour into this topic but I really I think we what we need to do is is start at the at the at the uh, the formation of society and how and just go through a quick kind of evolution of how one leadership and governance started and uh, early political decision making amongst um, pre uh, pre city state more like band tribe uh, human societies um, and then how that have evolved to today's post-industrial societies uh, with fully form like with for uh, fully formed democratic structures um, and uh, we can see how politics um, has evolved from there so uh, I think that's what uh, we're going to be tackling for the rest of this episode I, I do hope you enjoy it so with that we'll, we'll start with politics at the at its earliest stage uh, kind of the hunter-gatherer um, the hunter-gatherer uh, societies and uh, I'm going to be trying my best to blend different um, major political theorists uh, historians economists um, people such as Marx and Adam Smith uh, John Locke uh, stuff like that to kind of uh, help supplement um, some of the, the political theories ar around um, how politics evolved throughout time. I also want to talk um, about privatization versus uh, public and how uh, those decisions themselves are major. Uh, and we'll probably talk more about that concept in the in the next segment um, using um, using the tragedy of the commons scenario to talk about uh, privatization versus. Uh, the public sphere of resources and how like what how if resource allocation is better left to the private sector or to the public sector um i mean surprise it's it's there's never it's it's not it's never 100 percent either way uh and but then how do societies how do different governments different cultures decide um what what they value over efficiency versus equity and how that relates to the public private um spectrum so um, but with that, um, I need to start with uh, with the hunter-gatherer societies, and we'll quickly move through that evolution. So, um, so archaeological archaeological evidence: the first real groups of humans where governance was kind of necessitated was family groups of, um, known as clans uh, that were um, it had extended family members or multiple families kind of within the same group. And these were generally nomadic uh, hunter-gatherers. Um, they, they roamed around to find resources. 
but as resources became scarce, um, clans had to find better ways, especially uh, with competition over those resources, uh, safety in numbers, clans began to to um, to, uh, to band more together. Um, s permanent settlements started to become more uh, more common, especially with the, the advent of agriculture and that sort of technology where um, people could be more uh, sedentary uh, with their lifestyle instead of roaming being no more, more nomadic. Um, the evolution of more pr of professions that were out uh, that weren't just um, specifically hunter gatherer. Uh, you had professions that weren't directly um, part of the food production uh, part of the food production uh, realm. So you had you know artisans, uh, leadership people, people in leadership, and that kind of necessitated the advent of government, um, which leads us to the the second. Um, evolution of government slash politics is kingdoms. Uh, with agriculture, people settled. Uh, these settle settlements coincided with the appearance of kings and taxation because the threat of invasion required swift, coordinated action. Strong rulers emerged capable of defending resources against competing kingdoms. Uh, so you see that as um, resources became more scarce, the need for resources became greater. Uh, competition began to grow because of higher populations you um, see the, the political complexity becoming more um, becoming more um, uh, more necessary uh, with taxation because to, to pay for these artisans to pay for standing militaries to pay for leadership uh, there had to be some form of, um, of of collection to be taken place some sort of collective in order for collective action to be happen to, to occur for the benefit of the whole society there had to be some form of, of payment to pay for the, the lives and the ability of um, non of people who aren't directly in that food gathering business to uh, to be able to, to survive and have that complexity. There needs to be some sort of reallocation of resources, um, especially as with, with the advent of technology to pay for a lot of these things. Um, there had to be some form of, of taxation. And um, how do you go about uh, getting people to pay taxes, well, the threat of coercion, um, the threat of punishment for not paying taxes, for not paying your fair share, uh, instead of just resting on this idea that everybody pays their fair share because they all agree to it. Part of living in a society is is that they're, uh, with leadership, is that uh, you may not always agree, but um, the benefits of cooperating far outweigh the benefits of not cooperating and trying to go about life and uh, on, on your own. Uh, and that's kind of the kind of the, the bedrock of politics, right? The bedrock of, of living in a society is that um, uh, cooperation um, usually is always better than not not cooperating. Uh, the issue is is that coercion only can get so co coercion um, under a single ruler only can get you so far. There's very limits to what people will accept. Uh, under coercion and being forced to do things that they don't want to do without being comp without being duly compensated for being a quote loser and every sp consistently a loser within the society you're living in uh, you're generally going to become unhappy and you're not going to be happy about paying taxes towards a society you don't see as personally benefiting you or at least the the negatives are outweighing the positives um, which kind of leads us to the next evolution, which is empire. So as um, these smaller city-state kingdoms 
began to more merge into larger countries, you kind of have the empire stage. And so they have uh, dominant kingdoms developed new tactics to protect themselves and secure more resources. They expanded through conquest and the suppression of people in new territories. A hierarchy of governors managed the increasing co complexity of new empire. And the, th um, and the thing about empires is they eventually fall. Um, and I think that we get into kind of that there is only a certain level of uh, there's only a certain level that people will take until they're, they demand more from their government. Um, empires were generally under the, um, especially European empires, as we, as we um, kind of focus with a European-centric view of history. Uh, the European empires, um, people didn't have, the, the average individual didn't have agency. The, the kings were directly, kings were directly, and the aristocracy they were directly were tied to religion. There wasn't a lot of room for social advancement and um, taxation um, became higher and higher and higher people not feeling that there were they were being represented well uh, they were there were, there was a clear division between winners and losers and a lot of that had to do with uh, your lot in life where you were born um, not that so that lack of social mobility uh, eventually grew to a ton of resentment and uh, you have the advent of, of democracies uh, the problem with a straight democracy is that you you have also a, an issue of tyranny of the majority. Um, democracy diluted the absolute power of authorities, but introduced demagoguery in um, was the term I used tyranny of the majority. And so, how are you just replacing when you have just a direct democracy? Everybody has one vote, and you use the majority of your rule. How do you go about? Um, making this like how does decision making ultimately work in that particular um in that particular uh, system if you're constantly just whoever is 51 whatever side is 51 percent of any particular issue that's what you go with well that other that 49 percent um is going to feel like they their voice isn't heard there isn't any compensation for the losers really in that kind of uh, situation either you're just um you're taking the majority, the, the tyranny of an individual person with the tyranny of the majority. And it's, although there are more people who would be more happy with that situation, there still isn't, um, you're still not addressing the overall equity of the, of the, uh, of the, of the population. So I think the question really becomes, I think with our values today is like, how do you, um, how does a government address the equity of, of all of its people to the best that it can with the understanding that politics in a finite world is there always is going to be winners and losers but how do you um, make sure that there are as few losers as possible or at least that the disparity between winners and losers isn't great isn't as great as it has been in past political systems and i think that's ultimately the question that we're trying to ask today as as our politics have has evolved to more represented representation representative governments constitutional republics uh, is to make sure that there we are looking out for everybody in our society to the best that we can. Um, it's obviously it's never going to be perfect, but we have to sweep what why not strive for perfection? Um, so and not just rest on our laurels. So I think that's kind of a, a, a real brief overview. Uh, we'll pick this up when we get on the other side, but we need to take a break at this point and uh, hear from our sponsors. So that you've been listening to, to The Republic. Uh, I'm Jake, and we'll be right back. Are you a musician or artist in the local Vancouver, Portland area? Ready to take things to the next level? 
Well, New Waves Northwest on KXRW has got you covered. Send in your song submissions to submitmusic at kxrw.fm for a chance to be highlighted on one of our upcoming episodes. New Waves Northwest is the best place to discover bands and artists from the Pacific Northwest and all over the country. Once again, send submissions to submitmusic at kxrw.fm. And as always, stay wavy. Programming like this is made possible by the generous support of David Dansky with David's Toys, buyer and collector of old toy trains, including Lionel, Flyer, Ives, and Marks. He is interested in buying old transportation-related toys as well as toy trains from the late 1800s to the 1960s. David offers appraisals for fellow toy train lovers as well. David's Toys can be reached at 360-576-1602. That's 360-576-1602. Welcome back to To The Republic. I am Jake, and in this episode, we are talking about the evolution of politics slash governance, how different government very, very broadly in our last segment talked about the evolution of governments from early uh, hunter-gatherer band clan societies through the advent of uh, democracies and to kind of continue that uh, democracies which had a problem of tyranny of the majority which kind of well in a way um, just replaced the tyranny of an individual with the tyranny of um, 51 percent of any particular topic or or however different societies decided to um, go about uh, early democracies but um, as democracies began to more form around republics, which is more of a representative form of government, which um, did a little bit more better job of compensating what we define in the last segment uh, as the losers in any partic- any per- political transaction, because as we defined politics as being um, the, the mechanism in which society determines winners and losers, uh, politics um, is intrinsically tied with government and how... Um, how a society goes about picking the government is that mechanism right in terms of how a society determines to pick winners and losers in any particular transaction and sometimes winners and losers are more of a natural like more of a natural um, something that that comes that comes with just with the environmental realities um, of a society's uh, economic structure um, society's more social structure um, government um, as government has become more complex, the government has more ability to help uh, alleviate um, the pain of, of uh, those natural um, those natural environmental factors that cause winners and losers. Um, you know, I, I always kind of when I'm talking about uh, politics and economics, I kind of use the this candle maker analogy. Like what if you were a candle maker when Edison uh, invented the light bulb? Um, you kind of became a loser and, and you're, you're without a, you're out of job, right? You became, you're, you were unfortunately without any fault of your own, you became, um, you, you lost in that particular, uh, economic transaction. People were using a more, uh, people switched to light bulbs and electricity and you as a candle maker, um, even though you were no fault of your own, you be, you were all of a sudden without a job and without an industry. 
um, and prior to uh, government having more social safety nets and to help compensate for the natural losers of an economic uh, situation of an economic advancement or evolution um, you were left to suffer um, without any sort of um, without any sort of safety nets and I think you know, when you have uh, the lessons that we learn as a, as a um, especially having a republic and a democracy and having a governmental mechanism to help alleviate help you alleviate that um, under um, social different like so, you know social so, um, social programs in the United States you have social security um, um, and then at, that's those um, those social structures have grown over time because those are values that we as an individual hold so it's interesting to kind of see how the evolution of public and private spheres have become more intertwined and government having more of a hand in um, in making sure we're compensating um, that there aren't just there aren't just winners and losers right there's degrees to that and the the, the gap between a winner and a loser in any particular uh, political transaction isn't as stark and um, I think that's something to, to strive more for. We, we, when you fall on that spectrum of efficiency versus equity, when you have complete e efficiency, um, you're, you're sacrificing equity. You're, sacrifi um, you're, um, you're, you're broadening the gap between winners and losers. Whereas when you focus more on equity, uh, you are sacrificing efficiency, but you're doing so at the, um, for the benefit of the greater society. And how a particular how a particular culture, how a particular government wants to fall um, on that spectrum of efficiency versus equality um, is ultimately up to voters. And when you have a constitutional republic, you, um, you have represent, voted representation, is the voters have a little bit, the, the people have more say in how they want their government um, to formulate policies, uh, to gear that mechanism towards um towards the values that they see uh that they see more fit i mean they see more fit and so i think ultimately when we think we think about politics you have to kind of really come back to that original winners versus losers um conundrum and asking yourself how do you see the how do you see government and how do you want government reflected um, because ultimately every transaction is going to have a winner and losers there is no way out there there is no other way around that and as much as you want as much as we can try to alleviate try to try to overcome that basic dichotomy it is it is almost impossible it is almost impossible to do so without completely um, disregarding efficiency because you can't you can't be 100 percent on either side of that spectrum um, different governments have tried uh, to land on both sides and both sides have failed spectacularly I, you see the um, historical examples uh, across um, uh, across uh, across our human history, um, especially you know, for all the people who scream communism as a boogeyman, um, always seem in that capitalism is 100% the answer. More capitalism, more capitalism, more capitalism. I point to the uh, social realities and the cultural realities of the industrial revolution with runaway capitalism, uh, very little government regulation, and the absolute poverty in which people were living in, very limited social mobility. And uh, like, if you were to look at pictures and look at the realities and the, the abject poverty of in uh, that Marx grew up in and was writing his um, 
writing his his thoughts about his, the reality and environment that he was looking at um, isn't isn't much different than the boogeyman uh, outcomes of uh, of social of socialism under Mao uh, or Stalin. So really, when you talk about absolutes in politics, um, and you try to uh, fall on one like on the extreme of both poles of the efficiency equity argument, you end up with um, uh, you 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 end up kind of in the almost in the same place, just under a different name. Um, so with that, I, I wanted to talk about kind of this privatization and, and equity and efficiency falls right into almost a similar argument over privatization versus um, the uh, public versus um, making um, a resource public. So I had mentioned in the last segment this um, kind of conundrum and it's it's called and it's more of a theoretical exercise, but it's called the tragedy of the commons. Uh, the tragedy of the commons uh, is what to do with depletion of resources uh, in the collective action problem. So uh, theorists such as um, John um, Malthus um, and also Garrett and the, the concept of tragedy of the commons is it's a social and political problem in which each individual is incentivized to act in a way that will ultimately be harmful to all individuals. Uh, I like to use a sheep, uh, the sh like a sheep herder analogy, where if you th were to think about um, a, a, uh, a, a massive pasture and we're all sheep herders and we all have our sheep. We're all, we all have a vested interest in making sure that that particular uh, pasture doesn't get completely depleted and there's no more grass for our sheep to uh, to feed on but because there is no incent there is no mechanism that keeps me from overgrazing and I have I can't trust the other sheep herders um, to not overgraze I'm incentivized through my own self-interests to overgraze because if I don't these other people are going to do it anyway and it's going to be gone so I need to do what's best for myself and not care about the collective versus um, ultimately, I mean, versus uh, worrying about the collective. So I worry about my own self-interests first, but ultimately by everybody acting in their own self-interests, which is a, which is a nat natural uh, mindset to have um, without, with the absence of governance or privatization uh, there, where there are privatization means we, you know, we would cut up the pasture and say, this section is mine and that section is yours. And you stay on your side of the fence. I'll stay on my side of the fence. That way I can at least keep my area um, from being depleted. And regardless of what that person does, and it doesn't necessarily affect me. I mean, obviously that's an ideal type air pollution, stuff like air pollution, uh, water pollution, stuff that affects all of us, regardless of what I do or um, that person does. Um, we all have to, there's the sheep herder analysis is more of an ideal type, but there's two ways to kind of, uh, defeat self-interest that ultimately ends up harming everybody. Um, and that is to either make it public to have some form of governance, uh, that says these are the rules and having a rule based rules based system that everybody abides by. And then there's, it's upheld by coercion, that coercion being that if you break these rules, there's going to be a punishment for breaking those rules. 
for, as I had mentioned, the privatization of those commons. Um, commons being the pasture, right? The, a commonly used uh, resource. So in this case, with the sheep herder analogy, having a commonly used resource being the pasture that all of our sheep uh, can graze on without having any rules or without having um, individually set parameters, um, ultimately people when left up to their own self-interest and not being able to trust others to act in the common good uh, will eventually will deplete um, the resource to where uh, it's exhausted and then all of us suffer um, in consequence. So to escape that, uh, there's two ways, um, and different theorists will fall on different sides of this. What is the best outcome for beating tragedy of the commons? Is it privatization or is it making it public with governance? Um, ultimately, there's um, each, gov each government throughout time, uh, or at least the, the advent of democracies have come about, have fallen on different levels of that spectrum. The United States, obviously, um, being more um, laissez-faire, uh, will generally a lot of resources are left up to the private or to privatization, right? But with privatization, you are dealing with more individual self-interests. And yes, there are some resources that are left better in the hands of private companies because privatization is more focused on efficiency versus equity, and so. Um, Generally, products are are better versus the you know privatization where you're worried more about equity. I mean, public making a resource public, so you're more worried about equity versus efficiency. Uh, so more people can have access to it, but the quality then is de is depleted a bit. Um, the the efficiency of it is depleted. So um, when you th you th we think about um, you know, a, a uh, resource to clean water, right? The access to clean water, do we leave that in the hands of, of uh, privatization or do we make that a public good uh, and the government has uh, control over the dispersion of that particular resource? Um, and so the, how a government and how a culture and a society decides how they want to pick uh, how that resource is distributed, the, once again, those winners and those losers, uh, comes down to uh, each individual preference with uh, within our society, but having ultimately having the, the mechanism in which to do that, having a uh, having agency once again bringing up that idea of agency, make, making sure that the losers have a voice in the in decision making is ultimately very important when you're talking about uh, how those decisions are made, whether allowing the government. Because obviously we all are under we all are under the government umbrella, so the ideal type of complete privatization of a resource isn't quite isn't completely accurate because ultimately those governments do answer those private companies do answer to the government in general. So there is still some oversight, so it's not completely privatized as um, you know theorized in the the kind of the vacuum of the uh, tragedy of the commons example. Uh, but I think it's a good place to kind of an start by analyzing. We can start analyzing those particular um, those particular topics. So, uh, just to kind of recap really quickly, um, politics is ever evolving. It's ever changing, and but ultimately it does come down to this this winners versus uh, this winners and losers conundrum, and how do we as a society view that, and how do we then um, construct our government slash mechanism to deal with that and making sure that we are taking care of as, as many people as we can in our society 
um, going forward. And um, if in democracy, to get back to the first uh, democracy slash elected um, elected representatives, a republic uh, that we are is something that uh, helps give voices to minorities uh, better than any other conceived government thus far in our in our human history and then that is worth keeping so all of uh, try to yeah, hopefully that in a way uh, very broadly uh, helps kind of uh, summarize uh, democracy and the importance of uh, of, uh, of power and politics and how it informs our life so with that uh, you've been listening to to the republic um, we will see you next month The Sierra Club empowers local volunteers to lead campaigns to protect the places and people we love. They empowered local volunteers to lead the effort in Vancouver City Hall to develop an emissions reduction plan. The goal is to reduce emissions at least 50% by 2030. More information is available about how to become a member and support their work at sierraclub.org slash Washington. That's sierraclub.org forward slash Washington. A big thank you to Vancouver's own Kagan's Theatre for supporting our radio community. Our historic Kagan's Theatre has a long tradition of showing movies for our community, 85 years. Kagan's currently features first-run big studio and art house films along with classic movie revival. Check out their live events and you can even book the theatre for a private party or public event. Go to kagansTheater.com to see how you can rediscover the joy of going out for movie night again. Showtime's booking information and more at kagansTheater.com. A big thank you to our founding partners at Morel Inc. Print and Marketing for their ongoing support of community radio. Morel Inc. is a woman-owned, union-staffed, state-of-the-art print shop that since 1993 has offered high-quality, creative, and innovative printing and marketing solutions. Morel Inc.'s experienced staff creates partnerships with their clients and uses the latest technologies to meet their needs. More information about which of Morel Inc.'s products, printing, and marketing strategies will best serve your next project and budget can be found at morelinc.com. That's M O R E L I N K.com.